Welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined by Barnabas Piper and uh, and no Ronnie Martin. Uh, Pipe, this is uh, this is familiar space with us because I, I think as we observe this morning, uh, like Rick Steves travels less than Ronnie Martin. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie, it, Ma- Ronnie Martin should be a, a he should write travel books for off the beaten path mid American cities. Yeah, it's it's like he's still touring, as you pointed out. He's still touring just without the band. So, yeah, but no no headline cities. It's uh you know this he although he's in a cool place this time based on his Instagram account. Uh, he is he is bowing down at the temple of Moog in uh, in Asheville, North Carolina. Pipe, could you do something for me? Could you describe and just like a sentence or two, the essence of Ronnie's Instagram account, just because I'm not on Instagram. I've never seen it. Um, but, but I'm curious, you know what I mean? Uh, well, the first word that comes to mind is completely predictable and it's, it's hipster. (laughs) Oh yeah, of course. But, but it's, it's, it's got, it's got a strong family tie as well. You know, he's, he, uh, he, He's very doting on his wife and daughter, and I think they're all traveling together on this particular trip. So there's lots of lots of family related things, and then there's and then there's a fair amount of sort of like poetic pastory stuff too. You know, so sort oh. of think like uh, hipster Eugene Peterson. Got it, man. Okay, all right. So is it is it like inspiration for other pastors, or is it intended for like the flock? You know uh, what I mean? It's, it's a little bit of both. It's sort of like him bearing his soul. So like things that he is uh, he's discovering, he's learning. You know, it's not usually sort of the pastor. Here's a wide wise word for you because you know, Ronnie. Yeah. He's not a he doesn't yeah. come across as the heavy handed, pretentious type. Um, yeah, but well, pretentious know. in some areas. <laughs> well, yeah, musically, visually and pretentious, yeah. like philosophically humble. Right. You know, which is I mean, that? if you're gonna pick, that's the better way to go. Dude, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, either so either one is okay having both is just overwhelming. Yeah, intolerable as as I'm sure that you've uh, you've seen <laughs> now that uh, you're you're back teaching students and watching them be both visually and philosophically pretentious. Oh dude, you got that right, man. <laughs> I, I I love my students, but we'll uh, we'll talk about back to school here in a moment. We're getting ahead of ourselves, yes, but we are. Uh, but we will do all this without Big R, sadly. Um as he's busy photographing his life, but also living his life. Um, but mostly photographing it uh, in uh, in North Carolina. So we wish him safe travels. Uh, Pipe, we have, as always, some business to do. And, and you indicated, and I got I to review the numbers here, but um, we are going to crack 30,000 downloads this month uh, for the first time. This is a milestone for us. So uh, if you are one of the, the 30,000 who, uh, who have downloaded, who are listening, and if you've, especially if you've been with us for a while, uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate your listenership. And um, and, we will ba- do our and based on the fact that our numbers are growing, it means that uh, you listeners are doing a pretty fantastic job of sharing about this with other people. So uh, we we can't do a whole heap to generate new downloads and growth ourselves. So that means you you folks are more than pulling your weight in this venture. And uh, we absolutely. I'm always amazed when I see the uh, when I see the graph tick up and to the right because it I wouldn't. I can't, you know, we can't make it happen. So thank you listeners for doing that stuff. Absolutely. And, and Piper, are we going to need like an arena for live in Louisville? Are we going to need to get like Papa John stadium? Is that, that that's where Louisville football <laughs> yep. plays, right? Uh, Papa John stadium. And then, uh, yeah. Or, or we could go to the, the yum center, which is the KFC <laughs> yum center. That's, that's their Dude, basketball that's right. arena. That's where, 
that's where together for the gospel is uh, is held. So maybe we should we should tread on holy ground. Dude, what does it say about? Well, I don't know, man. I don't know if we could even if we, we could even <laughs> swing that. But uh, what does it say about like sort of mid Kentucky that uh, that that all of their big venues are based on like foods that are bad for you? you I know? think that's pretty self explanatory. And if you've ever driven through there, it's and you know walked through a local Walmart, it's it fits. Actually, nothing fits, but <laughs> it, uh, exactly. it all it all adds up. It all kind of adds up, doesn't it? But uh, but but this is this is sort of the flip side of hipsterness, right? Like the the, the least yes. hipster thing imaginable is a is an arena named after Kentucky Fried Chicken. So. Yeah, well, it'd be hard to do it. It'd be hard to do an arena on like you know locally sourced eggplant or something like that. Yeah, you know, this is this is uh, this is farmer farmers co op arena, Quinoa Memorial Stadium. You know, <laughs> if I if I ever have an NFL franchise, that's where we'll play. So. Oh, that that would be a fun one. Uh, okay, so back to Ronnie's Instagram account. He did post okay. a picture the other day of the quinoa salad that he was eating uh, for dinner, and he was uh, he was self deprecating. Not you know he was basically like I am the person I make fun of. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but he seemed to be relishing the salad as well. So oh, he likes that stuff, man. Make no mistake about it. You know he, dude, Big R is the ultimate like political candidate in that he, he will make fun of it but he uh but but deep down man he loves it so i, I don't under i mean this is not a this is not an anti-hipster statement i just don't understand how people like quinoa i mean it's just yeah, not, I, it's just not good i don't know why you would choose to eat quinoa over any other thing that you could eat yeah i mean uh, just pick pick anything Pick a Dude, pick I, any vegetable, pick any grain, unless it has. If I was in like I'm a sure. war torn like third world country, and somebody like like airdropped a bag of quinoa, and I was starving, I guess I would eat that. But yeah. uh, but I wouldn't choose it. You know, right. I mean, it's, it'd be like freeze dried, you know, meals ready to eat or something. You're like, well, it's nutrition. I guess I'll take it. But exactly. yeah, it wouldn't be on the list of things that you would pay money for at a restaurant. Dude, it's the texture for me. It has a uh-huh. weird. Uh, it's like it's like tiny eyeballs. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, yes. It's or vaguely like testicular. Even I, I don't. It's <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's uh, that that and tapioca are real similar in their sort of. I mean, I realize they're not similar textures, but they 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 both give me the same like heebie-jeebie. Sort yeah, of, the same uh, gross what, feeling. Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's something. It it is the viscera of the food categories. Yeah. It's just gross. Exactly. Look, well, let's hope that this trend passes, man, and let's hope that in two years, like nobody's eating quinoa. Maybe a scientist can just do a study that proves that quinoa gives us cancer because they can do it for everything else, and then uh, and then hipsters. Dude, I don't even think that it. would do it for hipsters. I, I I think what it has to be for hipsters is is some sort of study that shows that you know harvesting quinoa is bad for the environment or it's killing it's killing little baby animals or, or oh, you know or, or something as simple as you know, we just need to get a picture of donald trump eating quinoa and then uh oh. all of the hipsters will will do there you go man. So can we please make that happen so listeners, listeners if you're, do it if, if you're adept with photoshop can can we can we see you know our future president donald trump eating a eating a bowl of quinoa so that we can end this thing that would be thrilling i would be so happy before it goes any further. Well, Pipe, before we go any further, uh, why don't you do some business, man? Uh, again, we have sponsors. Uh, we're grateful for them. And uh, why don't you tell us about who they are? Yep, we've got uh, the same couple sponsors as we had last week. So it is Tyndale House and Nav Press with the book Next Door As It Is in Heaven by Brad Briscoe and Lance Ford. So we've touched on this the last couple episodes with this one. They've, they've been sponsoring the podcast for a couple uh, a couple episodes 
just as a quick reminder, it is it's a book looking at the the command to love your neighbor as yourself, but loving your actual neighbor. So the neighbor who lives next door, the neighbor across the street, your actual neighborhood, as opposed to that being just a concept of how to treat other people. And so they they're looking at how we can bring the gospel into the physical space where we where we spend most of our time, the people we uh, cross paths with most often, and so it's not it's not a book about evangelism, but it's a book about um, basically incarnational living as in in bringing the gospel into that space. And so again, that's next door as it is in heaven by Brad Briscoe and Lance Ford. And as we've established before, these are church planting guys who are doing this stuff, but they they are. They don't look like pretentious church planters, and that neither are they. Uh, neither are they sort of the hipstery types. They're they're like normal people, next door neighbors. So I think that adds some legitimacy to their work. Absolutely, that would, that would be my my assumption. Absolutely. We also heard from a couple listeners who have picked up this book since we started the sponsorship, and they've they've gave uh, they have given they've gave. I'm speaking yeah. like Donald Trump. They uh, <laughs> they've given really good feedback and said it's a really good book. So uh, a bit of social proof there that this is in fact a book worth reading and uh, not just something we get paid to say. Maybe you know you know what book that not a lot of people have picked up. Sadly, uh, it's my book with Ronnie Martin Bridezilla, which just came out uh, a few weeks ago. And I can attest that that's a good book, and people should definitely pick that one up. I, did, I have no vested interest in that. Nobody's paying me to it to say nice things about it. So I appreciate it, man. And, and you know what? You know where I think we went wrong on that book is uh, we have too many words and not enough just Instagrammy pictures of Ronnie. So, <laughs> I mean, if we could have some some more pictures in Bridezilla of Ronnie's kind of magazine quality life, you know, I, I think we would be doing much better than we're doing. That's true. Uh, uh, yeah, because I mean, everybody likes watching other people's highlight reel. Uh, exactly. So if yeah, if you could have just even just one of those like glossy inserts in the middle, you know, where it's, yeah, it's yeah, like a little the, like eight pages of photos, you know. Especially because if we could find some of those pictures of Ronnie from his Christian music days, with because I think he's had about two hundred and twelve different hairstyles. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you've been fairly consistent over the years, at least yeah. over the last several years. But Ronnie, Ronnie uh, switches hairstyles. You know, the way people change underwear. So, yeah, I, I mean, you just get a series of those in there mixed in with some coffee shots and some some Moog factory shots and some quinoa shots. And, yeah, I bet your sales would have been a lot better. Maybe maybe for a second print run, you know, you kind of grind through the first one and that second one will just fly. I think so, man. I hope our editors are listening and I hope they're I hope they're they're taking note of that. So uh, my favorite Ronnie Martin look, uh, if you if you go to YouTube and you just look up Joy Electric Burgundy Years. Um, that, that for me, maybe that, maybe that's cover image worthy, uh, for the next print run <laughs> of, uh, of Bridezilla. So, um, I'll leave you to look that up at your own leisure, leisure. Yeah. When we, when we do the, uh, the CCM behind the scenes episode, which we weren't joking about doing, I think that's actually, uh, that would be a fun one. And I think we may be saving it for the live, the live and Louisville. Maybe we can do a bit of a slideshow with that of, of Ronnie's different, uh, different do the differences diff- over the, the different years. looks of Ronnie Martin. Um, but always the same, always the same sort of facial expression in the photos. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, what is the, what is the word for that? Is it pensive? It's duck face. (laughs) (laughs) He, he does do duck face with some regularity. Dude, he was on that way before like teenage girls were on that. So I, 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 is that a thing to be proud of? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to ask him at Live in Louisville. That's as right. We, uh, Are you proud of originating the duck face? 
<laughs> as we you, go through you this, and Marilyn Monroe as we go through these Im- these many images so um yeah live in Louisville October 23rd uh still waiting to hear back in a venue but uh but mark your calendars for that and um thanks for listening thanks for checking out our sponsors oh we, uh, oh, we got one more I didn't even hit we got one more sponsor. man I, yes. oh yeah we've yeah, got far- uh we've got logos uh okay so logos.com logos bible study software is something that if, if you're in church leadership, you've likely run across this, but it's also, uh, it would be a bit of an investment because it is, it's, it's a pretty serious Bible study suite of tools. But if you're somebody who's, who's a Bible teacher, if you homeschool your kids and you're looking for a resource to do more sort of serious in-depth study, um, Logos is, is about as good as it gets in terms of the breadth of theological resources they have. So they have they have commentaries, they have study helps, they have all those things. They have original language resources. So if you want to study in the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and whatever else, uh, probably the Latin Vulgate as well, um, <laughs> you can it, – it, it incorporates all those things so that if you're trying to study a passage out of any part of the Bible, it will pull in the relevant resources that are part of your package that you've, uh, that you've purchased. So you have all those tools readily at your hand. And then they even have this uh, – they have a sermon editor in there now, which you could use for – any lesson, any study where it will, you can do all of your editing, all your incorporating of resources and, and references and all those things in, in the tool, in Logos. So you don't have to be switching between Microsoft Word and your research and back and forth. Um, I know tons of pastors who use Logos regularly. The reason that they are sponsoring is because they just released Logos 7. So it's a brand new updated version. And every time they update, they, they improve usability. They add additional resources and features. So you should go to logos.com slash happy rant and check that out. If you choose to purchase it, if that's some, you know, if that's something you, you look at and say, that's a tool I want to invest in, uh, that link, logos.com slash happy rant, or using the code happy rant seven at checkout will get you a free copy of Spurgeon's commentary on Philippians. So you purchase the package, that'll be provided for you as well. So again, logos.com slash happy rant or happy rant seven at checkout. Go check that out. Uh, it's a pretty phenomenal tool. So if you're in church leadership, if you're teaching, if you're just interested in more in-depth study of the Bible, that is something you should take advantage of. There you go. Logos Bible software. Do it. Um, also want to, want to throw some love to our boys at resonate recording, uh, for making a sound, uh, making a sound good. Uh, all right, pipe. So you have kids, I have kids. Uh, I'm a professor. This is back to school time, right? This is the time where, um, we're, we're sending kids out of the house as it were, um, and, and sending them back to school or keeping them in the house if we homeschool, which is not a thing that I'm making fun of or poking fun at in any way. So, I, I will say this is the time of year when it's confirmed in my mind again why I don't homeschool my kids because Absolutely. I, I'm so gleeful to send them back to school because the last like two weeks of summer are an exercise in all of us trying not to kill each other. It's it's uh, it's kind of like the Hunger Games around here for those last couple <laughs> weeks of summer where it's just sort of last man standing it wins. So sending them back to yeah. school is better for everybody and – I marvel at the patience of the parents who choose to keep them at home year round. Dude, I do too. I truly do like all kidding and all snarkiness aside. And, uh, yeah, I earnestly, uh, take my, my metaphorical hat off to, uh, to homeschool moms who are able to do that. So, uh, so pipe, do you have any advice, uh, for parents or students of any age as we, uh, as we head back to, uh, back to school? Well, when I hear back to school, it, it's hard to give advice, you know, to, kids you know prior to high school 
Uh, yeah. So when I think of – thinking specifically of college students because my guess is we don't have yeah. anybody younger than college who really listens with regularity. The the two things come to mind when I think of going when I think of going back to school. One is uh, no matter what kind of school you're at, so Christian college, secular college, whatever, you need to make the base of your life the some local church. You need to plug into mm-hmm. a local church because you will find out. I mean, even if you're really connected in navigators or crew or uh, intervarsity or whoever, you know, whichever on-campus ministry, those only last four years. And unless you go on staff with them after that, uh, you you don't have a transition plan out of college. It's, but uh, all of the people who I went to college with who have done the best, sort of spiritually. Um, coming out of college, it's because they were in the local church. And so there's a natural transition because that, that group of people stays with you. And even if you move away from school, so you travel to school, then you move away from there, you still have that built into the pattern of your life. You know, it's sort of, you know, it's like budgeting for church. You just sort of build it in. So that's one. And then the other thing is just networking. College is where you build the network of people from which likely you're going to get, you're going to get jobs. There's going to be your social circle. And so we're talking social network and professional network. And so that could be everything from chase down those internships and get those, uh, make, you know, make good friends. And I don't just mean like your mom would say make good decisions, although that, that's good advice too. But those people are the ones who you'll likely keep up with for a decade or two decades or three decades and and can be job connections and can be the ones who pray for you when life is hard and all those different things. And so I would say – be real intentional about your church life and be real intentional about your network. And ideally those two things are kind of feeding one another as well. Yeah, absolutely. My advice would be, and I've seen this on both, both ends, both as a professor and as a student myself. Um, don't, don't change your name. Did, did you have these people at Wheaton pipe who would like experiment with their name sort of in the, in the off season <laughs> and in the fall they would come back and they would start they would start going by their middle name or they would they would have like renamed themselves completely. Did you did you have this at Wheaton? Was that a phenomenon? I you know, I it was it was always people who like decided to go by their middle name instead of their first name. So it wasn't like a total pull yeah. from outer space, but it was, you know, if their name was like, you know, Stephen William whatever, they would be like, Call me Will. Like, well, yeah. All right. Yeah. And then you find Dude, out that always an awkward up, conversation. everybody they grew up with called them Stevie. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knew him as Stevie. Everybody knows him as Steve. And then they're they're doing the awkward thing in class where they're raising their hands and, and telling the prof on the first day during attendance, you know, I'm, I'm I'd like to be called Will. You know, I'm, I'm going by William this year. Um, we had a girl at Taylor and I, I don't remember what her name was, but it was it, her real name was something very uh, I don't was like Rachel Smith. You know what I mean? It was just it was straight down the middle, very kind of beige. And, um, and we had a, we had a bunch of Rachel's at Taylor, uh, but she just decided one year that she was going to go by Sasha. Right. What? So she, she, she kind of, yeah, she, she come, just like read it in a book and was like, Oh, that's a pretty name. She read it in a book. She liked it. I think she was a freshman, but, but she hits campus, man. And she's like the talk of the town. So I go back to the dorm at <laughs> to, night. And all to the, be all fair, the, not a lot goes on in Upland, Indiana. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take much to be the talk of the town, but, but so Guys would come back to the dorm at night. They'd be like, dude, you met that girl, Sasha. And, and other guys would be like, oh, oh, dude, she's so exotic. You know, like <laughs> it, in our minds, she had come from like St. Petersburg, Russia or like, uh, you know, 
Barcelona. I mean, just some some exotic like port of call, you know. And come, come to re- find come to find out, her uh, her her dad was a was was a city worker in Kankakee, Illinois. Oh yeah, she was in real life. She was from like Muncie, Indiana, which was like twenty <laughs> miles up the road. You know, yeah, her pops was like a like the drain commissioner in Muncie or something. But uh, yeah, in our mind's eye, man, she was she was she was big time, destined for great things. So. I, another another one, and I would say this is this is definitely true for college students, less true for uh, for high school, and that is uh, your GPA doesn't matter nearly as much as you think it does. Oh, dude, yeah. Every, every year, man, the kids are more and more like keyed up over grades, and I, I get I get kids in my office like in tears that they got an A minus on a paper, you know, and especially in especially in writing, and you know this pipe, like it truly doesn't matter, you know. I mean, yeah, all that matters is that people want to read your work and that someone will eventually pay you for it. But I'm sure it matters if you're going into certain fields, you know, if you are, uh, or, or if you're trying to get into certain grad schools, you know, if you're competing for, you know, med school and law school and things like that, those, those things matter. But as far as your GPA having any bearing on your success in life and your success at, at, at a various different fields, it doesn't matter. Focus focus on being a better person, you know, being a better friend, being somebody who people enjoy being around, sort of what they call those soft skills. Those matter way right. more because a, a person with a 4.0 GPA who can't carry on a conversation is going to struggle a lot more than, you know, the B minus student who can make friends with anybody. Absolutely. There are a lot of kids with 4.0s who I wouldn't pay like a dollar to to do actual work for me. So, uh, so yeah, don't worry about the grades, man. Just relax and enjoy the ride. So speaking of, of soft skills pipe and speaking of potentially good people, um, we had the question posed to us, uh, is Nicholas Cage awesome or awful? Uh, so we're talking, of course, Mm. yeah, about the actor. He's been in a lot of films, man, a, a, a broad spectrum of films, um, so the question is, is this guy awesome or awful? So, uh, what, what's your take on this pipe? I, I'm not even sure you can answer this with a definitive answer because given the breadth of his work, you can come up with movies that are really entertaining. Then he's got the movies that are so bad they're entertaining. Think like Gone in 60 Seconds. I mean, yeah. it's a horrifically bad movie or The Rock. But <laughs> Dude, but now The Rock, man. We got we got to talk about The Rock okay, for a minute. It's, it's, but it's, I would say it's a terrible movie, but it's just the right kind of terrible to be entertaining. Yes. Yes. The Rock to me is like um, it's like Point Break, right? Like the, the other right. one that we talked about, which yep. is definitively like a turd of a movie, but but super entertaining and watchable. Um, yeah, I watched The Rock not too long ago. I think it was like two or three years ago, thinking that I loved the movie because I had watched it when it first came out whenever in the late 90s. And I right. thought it was awesome. Um, and yeah, two or three years ago, it just, it just did not, uh, it, it did not hold up. Yeah, Incidentally, it, it requires a fair amount of sort of ironic this is slightly, watching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We do a lot of ironic watching, but incidentally, another movie like that, that I thought was just so profound and amazing in the late nineties, uh, was American beauty. Did you ever see this one? It won a bunch of Oscars in the late nineties yes. and was supposedly like super profound. Yeah, my uh, my freshman year in college, I roomed between uh, two different two different guys who both fancied themselves. One of them was thoroughly intent on being the filmmaker, and so he was he dressed in clothes that were two sizes too small and had the frame glasses and was just sort of had an had an air about him. And then the other guy was sort of a 
philosophy major type, but had seen every movie and loved to critique them. And so they put their heads together. And yeah, those guys are absolutely insufferable, aren't they? Yeah, those. If, if we're giving advice to, for back to school people, I would venture to say um, avoid those people until they grow out of that stage. That uh, yeah. and if they never grow out of that stage, then you'll just be really glad you avoided them. Um, and don't don't be one of those people. Yeah. Don't don't ever use the words French New Wave. Um, <laughs> Just don't, you know? And so I, you know, being an impressionable 18 year old, I mean, they were also 18 year olds, but peer pressure being what it was, I thought, well, these guys must know something I don't know. And so, you know, my idea of a good movie was, um, you know, Die Hard or The Godfather or some different movies, you know, those kinds of movies. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to watch this. And I spent the whole time watching it feeling like I must be dumber than everybody else in the room because I'm not being moved at all by this film. And I can absolutely see what they're trying to do in the movie. Like it's it's very obvious to me, and I think that's the problem. It's, I mean, it's like you can see the man behind the curtain pulling the levers, and it it just it's felt very contrived to me, even at eighteen. Yeah, it was like a movie that was trying really hard to be deep, and in doing so, became became sad. Yes. Um, so that's another persona to not have when you go back to college. Um, don't don't be the person who's just like constantly trying to be deep. Let the depth come naturally. But you can be a right. person who will staunchly defend Nicolas Cage movies. I would say that person can make friends. You can. Absolutely. You're always going to have friends if you staunchly uh, defend Nick Cage. So I'm, I'm looking at his IMDb now, Pipe. This guy, man. He's say in what all, you want he's about in all Nick of Cage. the movies. Dude, he is. He's done 83 movies. This guy, <laughs> This guy's consistently worked more than probably anybody else in Hollywood over the past, like, 20 years. He's been an animal. He's been absolutely prolific. Um, everything from legitimate, like huge budget movies to, he did the sad, uh, left behind adaptation, oh, um, yeah. in which he played like the, the main character in the, uh, the, the screen adaptation of those right. sad, uh, rapture books left behind. He, he had a, he had a movie with legitimate, like hipster credibility. Uh, the movie Raising Arizona, which uh, which hipsters like to talk about liking. There was another, um, there was another one, uh, was it Matchstick Men that it was, it was, yeah. it was. It wasn't like Raising Arizona because I think that was a Coen Brothers movie, wasn't it? Yeah, and I'm just not a Coen Brothers guy, man. See, What's your take on the Coen Brothers? Uh, hit or miss. Some of their stuff I absolutely yeah. love. Some of it I feel like I just two ships passing in the night. There, whatever they were trying to do just completely missed me. Raising Arizona was one of those. I just didn't get it, um, dude. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I didn't get it either. And I, I, my philosophy on the Coen Brothers is to pretend to like the Coen Brothers. <laughs> So that's a core value of mine, and right. in the circles I run in, it's necessary to do that. But yeah, and in reality, to, I, you have to be well I don't enough think I've versed. Liked any of their yeah, you have to be well enough yeah, versed to well discuss versed. some of their movies. Right, you're conversant. You get the references, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, but but yeah, at the end of the day, I would never choose to watch one of those movies. Yeah, I mean, there, it, to 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 prove that I am not a true Coen Brothers fan, uh, I would say my my two favorite movies of theirs were Oh Brother Where Art Thou and uh, and then I think they did the most recent version of True Grit, which yeah, I, which I loved, but it didn't feel like their other movies in quite the same way. I mean, it was a little bit absurdist and whatever. And then I thought The Big Lebowski was entertaining in parts. Um, but yeah, the, I agree. I agree. I, I, I think that makes me not a true Coen Brothers, you know, fan because I'm I sure agree. I, yeah. I think like, I, like I, I misranked those. 
True Grit was the least Coheny of all the Coen Brothers movies, and and I liked it the best. You know, it just it felt like a real movie to me. Well, it's because they were adapting another movie instead of starting yeah. from scratch with whatever goes on in their semi crazed brains. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it, Baby, what is your? Uh, go ahead. I can say just thinking about the the scope of Nick Cage movies. The every the longer I think, the more they pop into my head because you get like the uh, what were the Treasure Hunt movies. Uh, now, see, I actually liked those, man. I know, those were I dumb, they were but I really fun. liked them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, National were, Treasure. That's the ones, yeah. I mean, it was they were like Dan Brown, like the Da Vinci Code, yeah. except except without like all of the I hate the Catholic Church subtext. Um, they were like the Da Vinci Code, except that they were fun to watch, right. unlike the Da Vinci Code. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, Da Vinci Code might have been – that whole series might be Tom Hanks' worst movie-making decision Dude, that ever. Was, that was a series much like – uh, much like American Beauty, where it was like they were way too self-conscious about, like, quote-unquote religious Im- imagery. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, they were like, we're making a statement. I you know? read two or three of those books, which, again, parts of them were were really gripping. And then you get to the end, and you're like, well, that's a total letdown. And I'm basically convinced that uh, Dan Brown had a, has had an ugly run-in with a Catholic priest at some point in his life. And just holds a bitter grudge because everything in those is just angry at the papacy and all that that comes under it. And they're – yeah, and then it is – and then there's just these long screeds about religious imagery where he's just kind of showing off – he's basically just airing out his research, which is – which never makes for an an entertaining story. Dude, you know what other Nick Cage movie I I feel compelled to – to lie about saying that I liked, but I actually disliked it was uh, adaptation. Did you ever see adaptation? Adaptation. Which one was that? Uh, there's like a writing subplot. Like somebody's a writer, and Nick Cage actually plays two brothers in the movie. He oh, plays like two people. I avoid like from an movies, acting standpoint. I avoid movies about writers most of the time because it's funny. Dude, though, really? Now this is fascinating. Though Let's they suss are, that out. Well, they're either incredibly pretentious and self conscious. And yeah. so they, they make writing out to be like this this noble task with this nose to the grindstone. I'm like, writing is just sitting at a computer and putting words down. I mean, it's if you actually made a movie about the life of a writer, it would be so boring because it involves yeah. coffee shops and, and a computer, and that's about it, um, and reading. And so – But you just, you just named like the contents of everyone's Instagram page though. I mean, so maybe it wouldn't be boring to this it, generation. That, maybe it works you know better I mean? in still images. I don't know. Uh, but, so, <laughs> either that, either that, or they just completely miss. They misrepresent what. And I don't mean this in like an I'm an offended way, but I'm like, oh, that's just that has nothing to do with writing. So like the novelists who live in you know four million dollar Manhattan condos. And you're like, right. there's about six of those in the world, you know. There's, there's exactly there's, most exactly. people are who are writers are broke, and so it's I don't know. They, I don't tend to enjoy watching movies about writing or writers, with with very few exceptions. Dude, now let me ask you this: What is one of the exceptions? Like, what's your favorite writing movie? If you had to pick, um, was it was it Midnight? Almost in- Famous? <laughs> there there are movies that involve writers that I thought are interesting. I mean, I I think uh, Midnight in Paris was that. Uh, Dude, that's a Woody Allen. That's yeah. a fun movie. Midnight I, in I Paris, like I liked a lot, and uh, I mean, yeah. the soundtrack of it is one of the best movie soundtracks ever. Which doesn't doesn't have anything to do with the story, but it was part of what made it a, a really entertaining movie. But it, it was less. I mean, it was about writing, 
and writer, but it was it was more yeah. about inspiration and sort of the whimsy of writing. I think more than anything. I'm trying to think. I mean, you got Dead Poet Society, which is sort of the classic inspirational mm. thing, which is yeah. another one that I'm afraid to go back and watch it because I loved it when I was 18, and I'm yeah, afraid if I go back and watch it now, I would I would think, oh, I was so dumb. I'm I completely yeah. missed it. Yeah. Dude, some things should stay in our teenage years. Yes. You know what I mean? We should we should let sleeping dogs lie, yeah. as they say. If those really were the best years of our life, let's not taint them by going back and revisiting. Exactly, man. Truer words were never spoken. Well, look what we've done here. We uh, we meant to talk about Nicolas Cage, and we tried hard <laughs> to do that, but we ended up talking about uh, other movies. That instead may be a metaphor for Nick Cage's life. I really think it is, man, which is why it would be hard to be Nick Cage, wouldn't it? I mean, I mean, you, you, try, you, always you have try so that, hard to be good and it always ends up leading elsewhere, either to really awful movies or better movies somewhere else. <laughs> Dude, I feel like the thing, too, with Nick Cage movies is always like so he gets the leading man role. But but part of the narrative of making the movie is always, oh, yeah, they try to get Brad Pitt, but they uh, but <laughs> but they had to settle for Nick Cage. Like he's always the he's always like third or fourth down the list. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we couldn't get Tom Hanks or Brad Pitt or, like, Benicio right. Del Toro, so we have Nick Cage, you and know? It, 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 the other thing that comes up with these movies, with very few exceptions, and I would say uh, is is that they almost always feel like whoever wrote them and directed them just went, they're like, oh, Nick Cage is cast? Well, we don't even need yeah. to try to do anything realistically. Like, we're just going to do an absurd film. So you get, like, Face Off. Uh, was it, oh that, yeah, that's the one with that's the one with him and John Travolta, right? I get that na- I got the name right. Yeah, where they actually they they yep, switch faces it. and so they play each other's character and they're both completely crazy in real life and in the movie. Yeah, and so it's yeah you Dude. get stuff like that and you're like oh we, we're just not trying to do to do anything resembling reality anymore. That's another one of those garbage movies that's actually really fun to watch. See, I, I call those cable like if it's t- on cable yeah, or, or cable or TV you, movies. You ha- yeah, you, you can yeah, just drop in sure. at it's any point and, uh, and pick up wherever it is and just watch. Be like, I'm going to watch 20 minutes of this movie and something absurd is going to happen and something's going to blow up and I'll enjoy myself. So speaking of Nick Cage, man, he's a, he's a very, very manly individual, right? Nobody's questioning Nick Cage's masculinity. Not and if in they fact, value he often, their health. Exactly. He's, he's often, he can often be seen on screen like showing his chest hair and whatnot. And uh, and another one of these topics that, uh, that that somebody on Twitter wanted us to suss out. Uh, it's from a website. The website is called The Art of Manliness, and uh, they had a list of the top fifty like old timey insults, like old fashioned insults. Uh-huh. And uh, apparently, this art of manliness is like a like a, a pretty big deal. I'd never been to the website, uh, but I went there to look at this list. And one of the pop up ads was for a free ebook called "Become a More Charismatic Man." So uh, I, I may have to enter my email address, man, and, and try to become a more charismatic man via the art of manliness. So, Pipe, my first question for you is, are you a frequenter of this website? And if so, kind of what, what's the deal with it? What's the appeal? Uh, no, I, this website is like a lot of websites to me. You know, if, if I see an article get shared that looks interesting to me, like, for example, 50 old-fashioned insults, that one caught my attention. But uh, I'll, yeah. I'll go check it out. But I don't, uh, you know, it's not ESPN.com or any of those very few sites that I'll actually just go visit voluntarily. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So uh, ostensibly, this is a website about uh, helping you to be more of a man. Uh, In reality, it's probably just a vehicle for lots of beer ads 
and um, you know, like shaving products ads. You but know, uh, nevertheless, I'll, I'll say this from from the stuff that I've looked at on their site, it's it is not a it's not sort of a macho you know misogynistic kind of site. I mean, it's a lot of stuff where it looks back yeah. at like the work ethic of men from previous generations and things. So it's and uh, it, there's some there's some decent uh, there's some decent articles and writing on it periodically. So it's it's nice. a it's well put together, but yes, it is also full of ads for hard cider and shaving products. Dude, the aesthetic looks to me like the cover of that one guy's book. Who was who was the manhood guy from a couple? Darren Patrick. Remember yeah, that yeah. thing? It was just yep. like a mustache on the cover or a beard. Um, yes, that, that's kind of what the aesthetic looks like to me. So, uh, pipe. Which of these fifty uh, plus old timey insults would you bring back, and oh, why? Man, there's some good ones in here. Um, I think Gadabout is a really good one. Uh, All right. Well, how? So, well, maybe, maybe. Okay, I'm gonna say Gadabout. You, you guess what it means without looking. Dude, Gadabout to me would be like somebody who's just always like moving around. Like, you know what? Like our our co-host Ronnie Martin. Yeah. I mean, he's never really he he maintains a residence in uh, in 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 Ashland, but he's never there. You know what I mean? So he's the- always eating like. Uh, Jenny's ice cream in in Nashville or Asheville or, or Columbus or some other <laughs> one of, place. One of the you know? Yeah, no, he's so a gad about. Th- that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good example because the definition is a person who moves or travels restlessly or aimlessly from one social activity or place to another, seeking pleasure, a traipsing gossip. That's not exactly Ronnie, or uh, a housewife, <laughs> no, seldom seen at home but very often seen at her neighbor's house. So basically, like. Uh, a wandering busybody who doesn't buckle down and do stuff. So, but oh, I just, man, I just think the, I just think the word gadabout is a great, like, it's a great word. I like it, man. I like it. You know, that reminds me of one that I like, which is, uh, it's near the top. It's CAD. Yes. Right. Very short word. C A D. Uh, the definition is a mean fellow, a man trying to worm something out of another, Either money or information. Yeah, so it's it's kind uh, of a kind of a jerky weasel type of person, but dude. A jerky weaselly. Yeah, that's a great one because I, I, it's one you can mutter under your breath. You know, as you walk away from a conversation with somebody, you just be like, "Cad." Yeah, it's, yeah, dude. I feel like there's a lot of cads in our industry. You know what I mean? There's a lot people of trying to there. people trying to weasel into somebody else's fame or, or, or book deal or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yes, no, that's that is true. The 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 CAD, you could you could liberally use CAD in uh, in the world in which we live. Really good. Oh, here's another good one, milksop. All right, milksop, man. What what are we looking at there? Uh, a soft, effeminate, girlish man, one who is de- devoid of manliness, is a milksop. Oh man, yeah, you which, don't want to be a milksop. Which applies would all in the hipster realm quite nicely, dude. Thank you, man. Suss that out. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, it, it, it seems you like in that up, realm, yeah, you, in that realm, there's not a lot of uh, value for like traditionally manly things, right? Right. I mean, and almost anti. You know, if you if you do if you are traditional, I mean, you want to look the part of the lumberjack and act the part of the yeah. milksop. I think is how this this plays yeah. out. Because uh, if you voluntarily wake up in the morning and decide, hey, I'm going to put on uh, girls' jeans. Then I th- I think you're you are starting your day out on on the trajectory of milksop, but yeah, but then there's just there's not a lot of the sort of traditional manly either aggression or uh, I mean yeah. the funny thing I've noticed about hipsters as well is how many of them are just so blasted skinny, like there's not a people who, yeah. not a lot of them who are just sort of built like men. 
They're built like well, listen, dude, little waifs. If you eat nothing but quinoa, <laughs> you're going to be skinny, right? Yes. I mean, skinniness is, is, is your lot in life if you're one of these guys and you're eating kale and quinoa. Nobody wants to eat that crap, right? Ugh. You're going to be skinny. Ooh, yeah. How about, how about right. this one? Sauce box. Oh, nice. Let me let me, let me try to guess that one, man. Right. Uh, is sauce box uh, like like code for just somebody who's wasted all the time? Somebody who's a drunkard? <laughs> no, not somebody who's hitting the sauce. It's more like somebody who's saucy. So think, oh, I see. So right. it's a bold or forward person. So that's a it's an insult, but it's kind of also like it could be a compliment. You know, depending yeah, on what good, tone man. of voice that's you like, use. I think that's a fun one. That's like the opposite of precious, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's You're either precious or you're a sauce box. Absolutely, man. What, uh, what, what else do we like here? I'm, I'm looking through the thing. Uh, oh, let's see. Dude, look at 49, word grubbers, verbal critics, and also persons who use hard words in common discourse. That could apply to us. I was going to say, I mean, we, we – don't tend to use a ton of big words, but we're the first part is definitely true. Verbal critics, word yeah. grubbers. So that that basically, I mean, it, it fits in the the pretentious category. People who are uh, yeah. talking down other things and using large words to do so. Exactly. Oh, I like. I, this do you one. have one more for? Yeah, number fifty. Uh, wrinkler. <laughs> All right, man. Talk that out. It, the definition is a person prone to lying. I just I love the word picture. It's like they they take the truth and sort of crumple it up. It's like a it just sounds it it sound it's like the the perfect word picture for somebody who's constantly bending the truth. You know that yeah, contriving s- such bending a the truth, spin doctoring. Yeah, they're a wrinkler, man. They wrinkle. You know, wrinkling is what you do. Yeah, I think I think that well, one's pipe great. This- this has been fun, man, and uh, we we have uh, we have filled the time up. We have done what we always do, which want which is to wander to and fro. Speaking of wandering to and far and to and fro, uh, any any feedback, any post show uh, kind of fallout from our boy Trogues from last week? From the listeners, it was it was just a a, a big digital hug to Stephen and a Dude, welcome back. So a big uh, hug, a big love fest. Yes, man, for just Trogi. happy to hear his voice again. Uh, we did get a we did get a couple people who are like, "How did he not end it with peace the heck out?" Which was always mm. his classic. Uh, and and he said he was trying to compromise and you know kind of bring the old and the new together. But yeah, it was it was uh, just like positive it. feedback towards uh, our brief reunion with Mister El Trogi. Dude, it was brief. It was magical. You know, these these things come and go in your life. You know, and you're just thankful when they're here. So uh, yeah, I've, I've heard I've heard. Uh, nothing from Trogues uh, since since that recording sesh. So, which is either really good or really bad. I'm not sure which. Pipe. He comes into our lives. You know, he spreads around a little sunshine, and then he leaves just as mysteriously as he came. You know, um, this is the this is the deal you make when you become friends with uh, with someone like Stephen Altrogi. But uh, we have wandered to and fro, and until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. This, this is my skyship dreamer. My cargo is stories, and our destination, dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app. 
for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.